Hello, everyone. If you're listening to this in your audio feed and you're hearing this instead of the theme song, that's because this is actually part two of our conversation with Charles Zimbillis. Uh, I sincerely hope that if you have not yet, please take the opportunity to go back to listen to part one. This was quite a long conversation, I'm not going to lie, but it was a great conversation to have with Charles. I want to make sure that you guys really take in a lot of the information that he uh, gave us in the first half, especially about how he got his start, kind of trying to get into the industry and all that kind of stuff. This was a conversation that I couldn't fit into one single episode kind of thing, so that's why this is actually part two of our conversation with Charles. If you've not taken the opportunity to go back and listen to part one, please do. And now, let's continue our conversation with Charles Zimbillis. I, I definitely want to talk more about the Animation Academy in a second, but you did mention that aside from getting that started, and trust me, I definitely want to talk a lot about that. Let's get into like less of animation, some of the video game stuff that you kind of, you know, we've been mentioning offhand stuff like that. Now, obviously, I don't know how many people realize this nowadays, but you had a major hand developing some of the biggest mascots in video game history, starting with probably, you know, the one that more people will probably know nowadays, Crash Bandicoot. How did the opportunity come to you to work on a project like that? Well, this is how it happened. Um, <clears throat> it was during that dark period. I was just starting to come out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was working on, uh, I think I was working at Deke. And Deke was great because they didn't care, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the guy who ran that studio was just, you know, he was just, he didn't care. But we did. The artist did. And uh, there was a show that was on there. It was really just, and I was working a whole bunch of different shows. You know, in 1991, I worked on every single Saturday morning cartoon uh, in, in NBC's lineup. And I did it at wow. I worked on a show called Wish Kid. I did work on a show called Pro Stars. It had like Michael Jordan in it. Yeah. I had, I had um, uh, Where's Waldo? I worked on G.I. Joe. I worked on, uh, hmm. I can't remember all the shows I did, but I, but whatever they were, I did a lunch. It was a, it was I, a, I, I just want to say super quickly, because as I was doing my research, I saw one of the shows you possibly had a hand in was Sonic the Hedgehog, the animated series in the 90s or whatnot, 93. I didn't do much. Okay. And that, was, that was a very bad experience for me because oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was just really it was during like, you know, I was trying to deal with the embezzlement and I was, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I really which just it just didn't work out. You know, I, I mean, I did some stuff on it, mostly storyboarding. Yeah. Well, actually, that that might lead to a, a following que follow up question that I had about that show just real quickly, because I've had a previous guest on the podcast that also worked on that show. I'm wondering if you two have met. Does the name Joe Horn ring a bell to you? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I've had him on the podcast before as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Horn. Uh, um, there are just there are people that I worked with briefly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our paths might cross for a little while and then we just kind of go our separate ways, you know, whatever. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Joe Horn. Um, man. Uh, Terry Shikasho was a, 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 an artist. She was like a background, a color key background artist. Okay. So background designs would go to her and she would do the color, like the, the color keys, which would go into the pre-production package, which would go to the animation studio, I think in Korea at that time. Um, there was a guy there named, um, and like really, really great artists, you know, really great artists. But you really can't do your best work because, you know, <clears throat> they just, the, the you know, like, some of the times you're working, they're just committed to mediocrity, you know. Right. And, right. Uh, Chuck Patton was working there. He's a he was my art director, and I really enjoyed working with him. And he went on to do some some uh, 
some some noteworthy um, projects. Uh, but what happened was um, there was another fellow that I had known that I, that I first met when I was working in the days of uh, of um, Rainbow Bright. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, Joe Pearson, and he was an illust- uh, I think I think he was an illustrator, graphic designer, and he was working on, on Care Bears. It was a show called Care Bears, and he was working there. And that's when I first met him, and uh, we got along really, really well. I had a, a very, you know, I just really enjoyed Joe's company. I, he's a great conversationalist. I really enjoyed talking with him about all these different things that he's into. And he, I was giving him some tips. This is his first time working in animation, so I remember giving him some tips and stuff. And we stayed in touch and stuff. And um, and Joe was like another like uh, kind of uh, I don't know like what do you want to call it like a free spirit. You okay. Know? And yeah. he, he was somebody that was doing adventurous things outside the studio system. And he had done something, I think, probably in the early 90s called Colette 45. Okay. And it's kind of like I, nobody's ever seen it because he hasn't released it. But Colette 45 was a pilot episode he did uh, that he a- actually had that he animated in, in uh, Ukraine. Okay. And he went over to the Ukraine. <laughs> they done. This is, of course, was years before uh, you know the current situation. Right, right. Um, but he came back and it was really pretty cool. It was really pretty cool, and and he was going off and doing all these different things. And then I got a call from him because he was working on an animated product. He was working at Universal, doing something that I don't know exactly what. But he was he he, he was um, he's just doing something on his own, which was going to be like an animated pilot for uh, the Crow which was, uh, I think, Brandon Lee, which was, I think that's his name, which was like the son of uh, Bruce Lee. Right, right. And uh, it didn't, it turned, so he, he said, hey, there's these people here, they want to do something with, uh, with video games. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought you might kind of mind, you, if you got nothing going on, it might be a good project for us. So yeah, okay, you know. And, uh, but see, you have to understand something, that at that time, video games, video games was very frowned upon. Right, the, right. There's a, high, there's a hierarchical system in the studios in animation at the very top is feature films and then you have television and then you have maybe like close to it'd be like commercials mm-hmm. and then like direct to video and video games was like rock bottom right you know? it was like the back alley stuff in animation well but, i mean to know, be fair i would say to be fair at this point like we weren't too far away from like you know the the early era especially like the atari stuff you know with the, with the crash right. and stuff like that like we weren't too far removed from that era right but, uh, you know, there was uh, also just to follow up on what you're saying, when I was working at the Spiral Zone, we were the first studio to actually use, that I'm aware of, to actually use digital production in our in our system. We were the first ones to actually do, like, our background keys on a commercial, uh, not, not, on a computer, excuse me. Okay. And there was a guy in there named Kelly Day who eventually went off, to, went, went to Disney, and he was very close with Joe. And I remember, like, all, all that stuff was, there was all that activity was going on. Uh, at, at that time in, in the spiral zone, the spiral zone was 86, 87. So by the early nineties, um, you know, video games had like, they had progressed beyond, I would say Pac-Man and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and Joe contacted me and said, yeah, I'll, you know, this, this, I'll do it. You know, it sounds like fine. I was always open to do different things. You know, I was always kind of, I never had a really problem doing things that, you know, would, would be different. And um, so uh, after a while, I start. I, I can't remember exactly how the communication was going, but I know that he was having some issues with some people that he was involved with on a business level. Mm-hmm. 
and and it wasn't working out so he came back he just he, he basically took the project back you know and he said um can we use your company uh to to kind of you know like as as a uh, to something that, that can that can organize this and i said yeah because um i had still kept my company that was that had, that had all these problems with but it was still you know like a viable it was still a viable company and uh, so we used this and he negotiated the the con he, he his attorney negotiated the contract and this was uh about december of 94 it was like mid-december of 94 and um i let joe do all that stuff you know i just let him do it because it was his 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 baby, he's the one who was at Universal. And we started going, and he, you know, he started working on it even before I, I did. He was just, Joe's like that kind of person. He's like very enthusiastic, he just jumps right into things. And I wanted to wait until the, the you know, like the, all the, the business was taken care of. And uh, at that time we, we had gone to Universal and we met with a couple of young guys who were um, um, just in town. You know, and these these guys were one of them was uh, was Jason, a guy named Jason. Another guy was a guy named Andy. And we met with at Universal in one of the bungalows that they had little bungalows like back off you know, to the side of the studios where like Alfred Hitchcock would work and stuff. OK. You know? And um, and. Uh, it was a small little place and there was a guy there named Rob Benias, who was the president of um, of uh, Universal Interactive and. Um, there was a fellow there named David Siller, who was the producer, the original producer of what would become Crash Bandicoot. And I remember showing my, my portfolio to them, got to these guys, and they seemed to you know really like it. And uh, so you know, um, I was I I I was part of it. And then we started doing these concepts and stuff, and uh, uh, we just started drawing, you know, just crazy stuff. And just I just started going off of you know like, well, the, he's gonna we're gonna do something with a with a wombat. You know, right? Like a mutated wombat. So I just started doing all these all these designs, and and for some reason, uh, Jason started to connect with what Joe was doing, because the one thing about Joe is Joe does some like really offbeat, wacky stuff. Okay. You know? he does some really, and he comes up with really, really unusual things, and they seem to be going along with him. And I said, yeah, that's right. It was, it's, I'm perfectly fine with that and stuff. And I, I was just kind of like feeding off of that. And then they were, he did this one sketch of, of, of this character, which they seem to be very, um, feel very strongly about. So what I started doing was I basically was kind of like writing shotgun. Okay. So I was just like, I was taking what Joe was doing and trying to make sense out of it because it wasn't necessarily, you know, a lot of times when you're not, Joe's is primarily, a, was known for his, for be a background designer and a layout artist. I don't think he did that much character work, but he was doing character work here. And my, I, I, what I had to do was first of all make it work, because when you're designing a character for animation as a function, you're okay, right. you're, like you're, you're engineering it, so to speak. You know, you have to develop a design theory for it. And okay, like you got this character, but you know, how does it walk? You know, how does it look? You know, how does it, how does, how does it work? And there were a lot of things about it that just, you know, you can't, you just, that just needed work. Right? That. Uh, to figure it figure it out like his mouth you know his mouth is like takes up his whole body and the only way that this works is with a character smiling so one of the things i had that i did was they wanted they expected me to make it work make an animatable and then you know like make the character act so when i started making the character kind of making it um giving it a personality giving the character character uh, you know, I was just like, how does he look? How does the mouth look with his pouting? You know, how does him, how does he look when it's angry? All this kind of stuff. And I was able to kind of like solve all those issues. 
And then I just kind of started to have fun with it. And I just said, this is, you know, I just wanted to make them very, you know, like, like somewhat outrageous, you know? And there's things that you can do. The one thing about working in video games as opposed to like traditional media or legacy media at the time is you could, they're open to everything. You could do anything. I mean, it's just like you're, the latitude that you have with it is just way, way more than you would ever have working like in television, for example, or, or I imagine features, you know, because I did a little bit of work on features, but most of my work was in television. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were responding to it very well. You know, and then, you know, Joe, you know, Joe wrote the the production Bible for for uh, him and, and David Siller. You know, David Siller did some of the technical stuff. Joe did pretty much all the literature and all the, the character descriptions and stuff. And Joe did um, um, all the backgrounds. Joe designed every single one of those backgrounds for the original Crash game. They were all his. And I was just doing I was, you know, and I got a chance to do some original designs for Crash like um, Aku Aku. You know? Ooh, okay. And, uh, and uh, who's that guy? The Hawaiian guy? Um, uh, Dingo Dial, correct? I think no, so. Dingo Dial came later. Oh, Dingo Dial came later. Um, um, like uh, Tana, I think. Okay. The, okay. The Tana, who who was originally called Carmen, uh, he did oh, okay. Stripe. He did. Uh, who was that guy that was like? Um, he did. He pretty did pretty much did Neocortex. You know. I was kind of like, I just basically worked off of, did Neocortex off of what Joe had been doing. And um, and Neo, there was a Embryo, there's a character called Embryo, Joe right. did that. And I did, uh, I did um, a few things. I'm not sure exactly, I can't really remember. But uh, it was fun, it was a lot of fun. And we had a really got, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was like a really, it was, we knew they kept telling us this was gonna be like a groundbreaking game. But we didn't really understand it, you know. And it turned out this was an era when when video games were this and this. But right. this is this was the very beginning when it was this, right? You know, and um, and you know we had technical limitations with it, like you know we we had to even though I was doing a character that could like fully animate, you could only have so many polygons, and it, so everything had to break down to like simple graphics. And that's that's how Crash came about, you know. And we did everything that they wanted to do, and incidentally. That production bible that came that that joe authored and that you know i contributed artwork to and david siller contri- contributed to all that stuff was published i think by dark horse comics in 2017 i think it was 2017 uh it came out as a book after all those years and and i don't think they there it was it was my drawings that they had on the cover it was full of joe's stuff and my stuff it was all joe and i don't think we ever got credit for for authoring it you uh-huh. know that sucks. Yeah. I, I'm. You know, I could I could have published the 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 Bible, the Crash Bible, on my blog and on the internet, all that kind of stuff, and I could have done that years before, and you would have never seen that book come out. But I kept it confidential because I felt that it was something special. Um, and then they went ahead and they published it, and um, you know, which I think is okay because it makes us look good, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, you know, that's uh, that's what happened with it. So if you ever want to see the original production bible then you it's you can purchase it i'm sure it's someplace you know amazon right. somewhere you know. what was it a, a similar process for you or were you a little bit more hands-on with the other mascot that you became very well known for that spiral the dragon how was the experience like you know developing that character well you know i did something i kind of what I, I was kind of passive on crash uh, i just kind of took a step back and let everybody do it i remember like having meetings mark cerny was there and i think mark was actually looking to me for input and okay. I just kind of took it back. I just kind of said, hey, you know, like this is 
kind of like your thing, you know, I should have, I should have said something, but I didn't know what to say, you know, because it's like, you, it's your thing guys, you know, I mean, if I was to say something, it would probably change the entire trajectory of this thing, you know? Uh, so I just, I just kind of went along and I just wanted to make sure that everything was, that I, I could, I could do what it was that they needed. And, um, and I think that my biggest contribution to for Crash was, aside from making animatable, was I gave, the, I, I, I made the character, I brought the characters to life, you know, I brought the characters to life. We just, I just, we, it was like, this is Crash. And we know, mm-hmm. you know, we know what, he, what he's like. He's, he isn't just a character sitting, a drawing sitting on a page. He's actually, you can look at him, you can see that, you know, who he is and what he, and how, what's he all, what he's all about. The difference between that and Spyro is um, on the heels of Crash. Now, Insomniac Games and and uh, by this time, by this time, Naughty Dog had uh, a studio in. Uh, they had their own studio. There's a big white building in the Universal Studios lot that I think I think it's the tech. Now, I, I think I may be wrong. I think it's the Technicolor building. Okay. But like the first few floors are are are, are parking, and the cut two the top two floors are offices, and that's where Naughty Dog was, and right next to them was another studio, uh, right literally right next door, and that was Insomniac, and what okay. Insomniac had done, they had done another video game that 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 Universal picked up. I forgot what it was called, but uh, they wanted to do a character-based game. They saw what was going on with Crash. They wanted to do a character-based game. And I guess that there was a good word about me um, from Naughty Dog. So uh, uh, Ted Price contacted me and I talked with them and we went over and we you know, negotiated uh, a deal, you know? And um, uh, I started, I went in and I just, and we didn't know, they didn't know what they wanted. They knew they okay. wanted a dragon character, but they didn't know what. We didn't, they just didn't know. So I spent the first day in a little office that they had, and I was drawing uh, concept sketches of of this dra- of dragons, and I was making some of them big dragons, big lumbering dragons, uh, grumpy dragons, goofy dragons, whatever. And uh, we would have a conference, we would meet, and they would just uh, we would talk about it. And um, and I think at one point they said, um, I remember talking to them about to tr- explain to them about character appeal, design appeal. And how you can get, you know, like the the best ways to approach getting an appealing character. And what transpired from that was let's do something that's cuter, and that that's like more, um, you know, like more, uh, you know, like the different. You know, I hadn't done I hadn't done a cute one yet. You know, like everything was like was like torso dominant. You know, body body dominant. Right. And so. Um, I started doing some sketches, some cute dragons. It just started doing them. Just I was using a marker and pens and stuff, and I came up with this one little character, this one little doodle. I said, "That's it, that's him." So I showed, and then there was like a general consensus. Yeah, this is it. This is it. And and uh, so I started elaborating upon it. And I had Spyro after I think I think it was like this, the middle of the second day. I had Spyro. So Spyro went very very quickly. Uh, there weren't these uh, extended meetings. There wasn't a lot of back and forth like there was with Naughty Dog. There wasn't a lot of people involved. It was me and it was uh, Ted. And there was another guy there named um, Craig. Uh, Craig Craig something. Craig Stitt, Stitt, I think, who was the art director, Insomniac art director. But okay. I was working primarily with Ted. And he would take it. He would show it to other people, I guess, either at Universal or whatever. 
and that's how we got spiral, you know? And then they, they, they said, you know, like really, really push him, you know, like then we started, okay, we know what he looks like. Now you want to, you want to make him, you want to bring him to life. You want to explore his behavior. And they said like, really, really push him. We want him to be outrageous. One of these bratty little eight-year-old, you know, bratty <laughs> little eight-year-old, you know? And I started doing some more drawings and then we had spiral very, very quickly. And I got to tell you something, it was probably the dumbest thing that I had, one of the dumb things I'd done in my life. <laughs> because I was being paid, I was being very paid very well, but I was being paid per day. Okay. And if I'd have been a scoundrel, I would have like stretched this out for a couple of weeks. But <laughs> I'm too uh, my too work working ethic is too strong. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I wound up doing a Spyro in a very short period of time. And then we started doing other characters, you know, like um, was it the orcs and all that kind of stuff and everything. Mm. It was, it was a good experience. It was really, really, very positive. And it was very positive. But it happened, Spyro happened fast. And the one thing between, between the big difference between Spyro and Crash is Crash is like a kind of an amalgamation, you know? It started with Joe, and then it's kind of like morphed into, into my take on that, you know? My, and, but Spyro was 100% mine. It wasn't based on that. I didn't have anybody else coming to me and say, make it look like this or do it, all that kind of stuff. And that is a big part of, of working in animation, folks, is, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're going to go to school, you develop your skills, you get really, really good. And then they hire you to basically, like, uh, take stuff that's been already done and work, you know, like, they'll, they'll establish a look or something. And then you have to jump on that and you have to kind of, like, you know, um, you know, like, adapt. You have to adapt to something that's already, like, uh, pre pre you know like uh what's the word they've already made decisions about it you know right but spiral was completely pure it was pure character and uh that's one of the things i just really um appreciate about that was spiral was you know 100 100 mine you know and of course they would take they would take they modified it and all that kind of stuff and everything yeah and of course you know just like crash you know it, he spiral would change over the years and that's completely you know that just happens and the character evolves but oh yeah that's that's a big that's a big difference i mean the fact that it's lasted for years regardless is a triumph on its own i i, I just wanted to ask one quick thing because i've i've seen this on the internet here and there and i don't know if this is something that you had direct hand in or whatnot i know you said you developed spiral very quickly I've heard a rumor before that at one point Spyro was supposed to be a green dragon named Pete or Petey. Was that something that you had a hand in or whatnot? Or I don't know. I don't know about green. Okay. Because I didn't really have anything to do with this color. You know, most most of the time it's just they just want me to, you know, color is not necessarily something that they want me to do. Okay. Um, but he was it was it was called Project Pete. Okay. So they'll have like they'll have like a code name for projects. And Spyro was called Project Pete. And Crash was originally called Willie the Wombat, but that wasn't a code name. They were actually going to call, Willie was actually going to call the character Willie the Wombat. But I remember going to like a little like discount store, like a five and dime store in North Hollywood. Uh, while I, you know, a little bit, just soon after I started, I wrapped up my work, my initial work on Crash. And I remember seeing a little toy uh, that was on a shelf someplace. And for some whatever reason, I didn't get it. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but I remember I looked at this little toy and it was just a little, little thing, little figure. And I looked at it and I looked underneath it and it said, Willie the Wombat on it. And I said, and I called up and I left a message on Naughty Dog's uh, voicemail. And I said, uh, there's already a Willie the Wombat character, guys, you know, so you might want to rethink the name. Mm. And that's, that's what led to um, them changing the name. And I think very much for the better. 
you know? Yeah. So I, and I had nothing to do with that. I just remember seeing a Willy the Wombat toy, little figurine. I don't even remember what it looked like. And that was the end of Willy the Wombat, you know? Yeah. I can and I don't know how they came up with the name for Spiral. It was all internal stuff with Insomniac. You have to remember that I was not employed by them. Right. I was not employed by them. I was just, I was, I was not even employed by Universal. I was sub, I was contracted by Insomniac and I was contracted by Naughty Dog. Uh, kind of like working almost, almost you could say like a ghostwriter kind of thing because mm-hmm. they didn't have a design crew at that time. You know, they didn't have anybody internally that could develop characters. And the thing, that's another thing that made Crash so unique. It was the first time, the very first time that they actually brought in professional, uh, you know, like animation development artists to develop a video game. As far as I know, uh, that was the first, the very, the very first time today, man, <laughs> video game, video game artists are astounding. If you go to, 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 um, Artstation, artstation.com, and see the artwork. A lot of that is from the video game community right. from all over the world. It is just mind-blowingly good. But none of the none of that existed in video games at the time. We were like the we were like the kind of like the um, Neanderthals, you know, yeah. like the very beginning of the emergence of all that stuff was that uh, was with was with Crash, and and also with Spyro. And then years later, all these guys started getting. They actually sent their 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 design crew to me. Both, I think Naughty Dog did it twice, and, and Insomniac did it once, or maybe it was it was flipped. I don't know, but they sent their when I first started my school, they sent their crews to me, and I started to train them in character design, and uh, and that's how they started to kind of like internally they started to get better, and they would hire you know like artists from the outside who were skilled and stuff. So, you know, I mean, yeah. it's all it's got to be amazing more than anything else. Like thinking that like you know. You, working on these projects one way or another whether it's passive or more aggressive like with spyro and stuff the legacy that these characters have especially nowadays it's got to blow your mind at this point the fact that they've lasted this long yes yes <laughs> it really I, again i never knew i never had any idea that all these years later uh they'd be like um iconic you know yeah. and uh um and it's great because you know i mean that and you throw in he-man and Shira, yeah. and you know those like those things, and I'm like you know an American tale to a certain degree, and I can go anywhere. Yeah, I can go anywhere. They don't know who I am, you know, but I start talking to people and I tell them you know what I do and what I've done, and I'm like an instant. I have instant notoriety, <laughs> instant, instant, instant. You know, I can go anywhere, anywhere in in the in the in the little little honky tonks and tiny little towns, you know. And uh, I wind up and they know what I've done, you know? So that's a really great thing that, you know, I don't do that very often. I just really kind of, I don't go around and say, hey, I did crash. I didn't <laughs> any, anything like that, you know? But, that's but valid. It, when it comes up in conversation, I eventually get into it, you know? And uh, and then I play around with people, you know? Yep. Like I'll see, I'll see um, like a crash and spiral, like on Happy Meals, you know? And I go into McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I buy Happy Meal and I just look at everybody, you know, I just look at them or I look at a kid, you know, and I just look at him and said, I did this. <laughs> <laughs> I did this. Oh, like recently, is- recently, um, what is it? Um, oh God, there's an energy drink. I oh, G Fuel. That's okay. it. That's it. So they came out with uh, Crash and, and Spiral Collectors cans that came out over the summer. 
And, um, you know, so I'm able, I can go and I can say, yep, I did that. It's fine. What, what, what's, so I'll say what's funny is I, I, I only know that because the, the Crash Bandicoot Wamba fruit drink, uh, flavor, whatnot, I drink that here and there. So (laughs) now I can say I have met a guest that made this possible some one way or another. (laughs) It's really something else. It's really, it's really something. I just, I, I just, uh, uh, it's one of the great things. I'm just very lucky. I'm a very, 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 very lucky, fortunate person, man. That's all it is. You know, I'm just very lucky. Just fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, you, the universal uh, something. It just, it just worked out that way. And I'm very, um, I'm just very fortunate. I'm very, very lucky because I have my own Mickey Mouse. Yeah. See. I have my own Mickey Mouse. I've got, and not, not many character designers can say that. How many characters can go out and say like, you know, and I see, and I mean that metaphorically, of course. Right, you know? right. But I have, you know, like there's Crash and Spiral. I have my own, like my own Mickey Mouses, you know, and, um, and, um, you know, it just, uh, it makes it, it's, a, it's very, it's very, it's very satisfying. It's very, um, I think for everything that I've been through in my career, it's kind of like a, a comforting, you know, it's kind of a reward, you know, so it's my reward for all the, all the, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, like all, all the, the crap, all, all the, the crap. foolish things, all the foolish things <laughs> that I've done, all the, all the amazing, all the, the, the things that just, um, I still haven't told you a lot of stuff, you know. Oh, I can only imagine, and I'm kind of scared to dig deeper into that. I just wanted to say, at least, like, when it comes to the impact that obviously you've had, like, you know, even well before I knew about some of the stuff you're talking about, like just thinking about the impact you've had with like Crash and Spyro, especially. I mean, Aiden right here can, if you want to tell him a little bit, like Spyro is a major reason why you are the person you are today. Yeah, I would say so, you know, and I really appreciate all what the fans do. I, f- I appreciate the fan art. I mean, I see people, uh, I saw like these thighs. Um, I don't know where it said so many people see this stuff and they send it to me. Like I, yesterday I got an email from the lady that I know that uh, somebody had done a picture of crash, you know, like, cause he's like super, super buffed, you know, and mm-hmm. I see a picture of uh, these, this girl, she's got like a, on her thigh, she's got a big tattoo of crash on one side and a big <laughs> tattoo of spiral on the other one. And I see this other girl that's did um, a gigantic crocheted spiral big gigantic spray and i just see this stuff and i'm like i'm amazed i'm just amazed and um you know i just uh i just i don't know what to say so i just don't know what to say i just i'm happy that it turned out that way and i'm happy that but again you know i gotta tell you i gotta give credit where credit is due it's one thing to to like design these characters and come up with characters but it wouldn't it would be meaningless if it wasn't for the, the the geniuses uh, and I don't, and I don't say that lightly, you know, I've right. got like the geniuses at Naughty Dog and the geniuses at Insomniac, you know, the people that actually made, made the games. Uh, just my involvement with it was, was really quite minimal. You know, I just, I didn't really do anything other than maybe plant the seed, you know, and give it a little bit of water. But these guys actually nurtured the tree that came up out of that and, and, uh, and all the good things that have, that have happened from it. And it's because of Naughty Dog and it's because of Insomniac. And it's also because of studios like uh, Toys for Bob, you know, yeah. that, do, that have done the very extra, extremely, extraordinarily talented people. So there's a limit to my, to, to the, to my 
to the credit that I get for that. You know, I, I appreciate the credit that I have received, but the, the success of the games is because of those guys yeah. and not necessarily because of me, you know? So I just am enjoying, you know, <laughs> just like, like, uh, thanks a lot for everything that you did because you guys made, sure made me look good. You know? <laughs> I mean, that, that is true. But I mean, even then, like with your, even with your metaphor, the fact that you planned to see, I mean, someone has to do it in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and Joe. I mean, what I would have never have happened without Joe Pearson. Right, you know, right. Joe's a great artist. I mean, he did uh, a music video for. Um, oh man, I could have figured that. This guy's from Seattle. Uh, Nirvana. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. You know, it was called uh, Evolution, I think. Okay. You know, just oh, maybe. I yeah, think I know the that. song you're talking about. Oh, yeah, okay. he I did. Just... He did the music, the animated music. He was great. He did. He did a feature film. He was. He did. Joe did. I think the very first animated feature film that was ever produced in Malaysia. Oh, wow. And it was called um, something about War of, the, War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, what is it? War of the Worlds Goliath, you know? I'm sorry. I just, you know, there's just so much stuff <laughs> at any given time that it's kind of tough for, you know, just for, for me to, you know, remember a lot of these titles. But War of the Worlds Goliath, and it was uh, very, very well, there was a feature film, I think it came out about 2014. And it was CG and and hand drawn animation. Uh, he did a lot of really really uh, great groundbreaking stuff, you know. So you know, if it wasn't for Joe, uh, I wouldn't have had a chance to work on Crash. And if it wasn't for um, a lot of stuff like the bad things that happened to my life that put me in a position where a good thing where I could have you know kind of like had access to the, to things that eventually became uh, good, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like, speaking of, you know, planting seeds, obviously, like, you're also, during, around that time, are doing that with potentially the future of animation with starting up the Animation Academy in Burbank, California. Now, mm-hmm. I know you kind of said you part, one of the ways you were able to help with the Academy was giving people an experience by working on this uh, pilot that you were talking about. But what was ultimately, like, the reason why you wanted to start the Animation Academy? So I could finish that film. Just, to, okay, you know, understandable. It's a good <laughs> It was my, I had the idea all the way back in um, like probably 89, I think, okay. of uh, form, having a school, starting a school, and then turning that school into you know, like having as an offshoot from that a studio. Like get students to come in, train, train the students, and then like why give them to the studios, you know, like find a way to keep them and we can do our own, our own projects and stuff. I did that with the Animation Academy as actually I was teaching at a friend's school and it was called uh, Associates in Art okay. in Sherman Oaks, California. And I think at one for one brief moment in time, it was the greatest art school perhaps in the world because it was at, it was, it was at the height of the animation boom in the 90s. And uh, a person, a friend of mine who I had very, very enormous talent. This was, these guys were like fine artists, you know? It was a guy named um, Mark Westermont, okay. and he died uh, a few years ago. Um, but he started the, and it was he started Associates in Art, and everybody was there. I mean, everybody. It's, it was it was he started in the back of a lady's, like a in a, and it was a lady that had like a small estate in Encino, and he, well, he was you know he's psych- I was actually trying to get him to start a school with me a couple years before that. Oh, wow. on the heels of the embezzlement because I had this building and there was nothing I could do with it. I said, like, let's move it. Let's have a school. And it just, I'd never heard back from him. So I guess he took, he kind of like, you know, 
uh, went, went and he, he had been teaching. I had been teaching at different places and stuff. I, I met him at a, at a, um, in uh, Calabasas in uh, at a place called the California Art Institute, which is not the art, the Cal Arts. It was a different school. And, uh, they, you know, he was very good. He was like a figure drawing teacher and stuff. And I was teaching a class called uh, Animation Design, which was the first of its kind, because at, by this time we had already, um, I think this was 85. Okay. Uh, but at this time, it was like I was teaching a class that where, where you know, and designing for animation had become the dominant thing at the studios because everybody was sending their stuff overseas. So you really didn't, it wasn't about, you know, like uh, it was learning how to, how to, if you're an illustrator, comic book artist, all that kind of stuff, there's a certain way of designing for animation. So I would teach you how to, how to design characters, how to do your rotations, you know, everything that you needed to do in order, you know, on a professional, you know, pr production level with character design and also background design and stuff. And I kind of took that, the, the basis of that. And then I started teaching it. He, I was invited to teach at his school. I was at, like, he may be the head of the animation department, which really didn't mean anything because I really wasn't able to do anything. And, you know, and it, it really didn't have that much, like, I don't, let's say authority or whatever. It was just kind of like a, just a title. And, um, and uh, the, but that brief, that was really something. We had all these guys that were for all this. It was just like, a, it was amazing. We had like, you would have 40, 45 students in one class. I would get Paul Felix to come over and uh, and teach visual development. If you don't know who Paul Felix is, he's the brother of Philip J. Felix, of the Felix brothers, there were three of them. Oh, wow. And, um, and they're all great, are they all? And uh, by the way, when I left Hallmark and I got into the animation industry, I just, I, I trailblazed for a whole bunch of people to come from Kansas City into animation. And they all became superstars. A bunch of them became <laughs> superstars. They became, I mean, mean it. I mean, they were just like, they became superstar status. And I remember sitting in the in the lunchroom in Hallmark and Philip would be there and there's another good friend of mine, very talented artist, Richard Chavez was there, a fellow by the name of Rich Lines. All of them, we got into animation. And I remember saying, you know, like the day's gonna come guys when we're gonna be going to movie theaters are gonna be seeing our names on the screen, you know? And, uh, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of um, ambitions that at least I had, you know? Right. Son of a gun, it happened. It happened. <laughs> like Richard, Richard became the uh, art, one of the, he was like the co-art director for, um, he was one of the very first people hired uh, at uh, uh, DreamWorks. When Katzenberg oh, wow. away from Disney, he took five people with him to, to start DreamWorks and, and Richard was one of them. And uh, a great, great artist. I mean, he's just, he's just, these guys I'm talking about, their, their work belongs in some of the greatest museums in the world. They're just, they're just, absolutely first world class artists i'm telling you something that the artists the artists and animation are just they're just I, I can't say enough how 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 fabulous they are you know and and uh and um anyway i was going to go off on that uh, off of that <laughs> i can't remember what it was oh yeah so anyway uh one of the interesting things that happened when i was over to associates in art was um i was looking at you know this is my early days in the internet and I got on the early on the internet on AOL, America Online, really, mm -hmm. really early. And on, on a little 486 that I had for word processing. And I said, I got to get in on this and see what it is. And I would look at it and I'd play around with it and all this kind of stuff. And back then everything was like pages. It was all page, 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 page stuff. Right. Know? And you didn't you see, didn't really see anything beyond that. Maybe a little bit of sparkling stuff here and there and all that, little, little animated, you know, GIF files or whatever. And I said, what's this going to be? What's this going to be? And then it hit me. 
and I went to, to my to my class uh, later on, I think maybe that week, and I went to everybody and I just, I made this like this big announcement. And the announcement that I made was to my students was, everybody, this is what's coming. Everybody in the future, you're all gonna have your own channels. You're all gonna have your own TV stations. The internet is gonna make all the, is gonna make everything else out there just like digital production did. It, to, to, to traditional production, it's going to make everything obsolete. Absolutely, everything obsolete. You're all, and you need to get ready for it. You need to prepare for it. And everybody's thinking at that time, well, what's it going to be? What are you talking about? Like 10 years from now, 20 years from now? I said, it's going to come sooner than you think, but this is the way to go. And it happened, you know? I mean, I, I, that's what I was seeing. I was seeing like, and I was encouraging my students, like position yourselves, position yourselves for what's coming. And, um, and um, you know, so uh, that evolved into, there was some stuff going on at Associates and Art. The, 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 my friend was having some issues with some of the shareholders. I, I mean, I, I, I think I could have, I think I was, you know, I, I think I could have done a little bit better job, you know, of making, trying to make things work out, but it didn't work out. And um, I left and I, I just wanted to take a break. And what had happened was there was a student there that I had who had come into this uh, inheritance and he was talking to me about um, starting his own, starting a school together. And I said, yeah, you know, like how much money have you got? He's talking about how much money. So, yeah, we could do with that. So uh, we were talking back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, it just, uh, you know, I didn't want to be in a situation where I had a partner and I didn't control the, the, the business. You know, I just, it's like, I want 51%. We're not going to, you know, I just, it, it, one, either you or I has to control this, has to be the dominant, you know, the leader in this, or it's not going to work. And I don't want to work under anybody else, you know, not in a situation like this. So it didn't work out. But there was a friend of mine who owned a restaurant in Burbank. And he was really intrigued by this. I was talking to him. I was going, I was talking with him. It's just trying to, he was intrigued. I was asking him for advice, all that kind of stuff. What should I do all that? And after a fellow party goes, he comes to me. I was, I was there and he goes, so how's your, your school going? I said, it's not. It fell apart. And he goes, so he goes, and he was a Greek man. You know, he goes, so Charles. Charles, do you need him? And I said, uh, well, his money would have been nice. He goes, no, no, no. Do you need him? I said, no. He goes, well, I have an idea. This is how you could do it. And he had a back room. He had a back room to his restaurant where, you know, like group parties and like you could reserve that room or whatever. It was like kind of like an overflow flow for the main restaurant. And he said, use my back room. You don't have to put anything up. Just pay me for the nights that you use it. And um, and let's see how it goes. You know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, you're not losing out anything. I said, okay. So I went on that little 46 I was telling you about, and I printed out these invitations. And I had a Christmas card mailing list at the time. And um, uh, it was about 35 people that were on it that that I were either students of mine or people that I thought would be interested. And I printed out these little these invitations. And I remember I had like a like a hippo, like a hippo type character with a beret. And he had like a nose ring and he was flipping, he was flipping like uh, pages. He was just flipping, he was you know, like flipping some animation and these pages were going all over the place. And one page kind of like framed him on the bottom. And I had a very small, you know, like type, uh, typewriter uh, uh, lettering. Are you ready to kick, are you ready to kick some ass? Are you ready to kick ass? Or something <laughs> like and then behind, I'd staple that to another form, which was, um, you know, like a, like a registration form and stuff. And I went to, to the I went to the post office and I got fifteen dollars with the stamps, and that's all I paid, you know, and I just said um, and I mailed them out, 
That's $15 on stamps and envelopes. And uh, I mailed out 35 invitations. And uh, I was talking to my friend, says, if you get, we'll do it if you get five. I'm, you know, like, if you get five, do it. I thought, okay, all right. But I didn't, I said, you know, I, I figured maybe we get about maybe somewhere between five and 10. I sold all those, all, we had 20 seats available. I sold them all out. Sold all okay. 20 seats. So I went and I I think I charged 275 for the class at the time. Okay, interesting. So I spent $15 and I raised over, uh, what, 5,000 bucks. Yep. And that's how I started the Animation Academy. It was the students that became my financiers. And virtually every single student that I brought into that class had gotten into animation. Not all of them, but every almost every single one. And we went from there, from that back room of the restaurant, like two blocks away was an office space in a building, nice little building. So I got that. And I was able to get tables and chairs. And then we got more students coming in. And then we could do it like every night of the week and then expanded to I, another office opened up down the hall and another office opened up. So I like wound up taking all the office space that was available. So we had classes morning, noon and night, you know, and uh, and that's how the academy started. And um, yeah, I could I could, you know, go into more detail with that. But that's that's how I did it. I mean, I just did it. I did it with like with that, with nothing, you know, it just, I, the, the, you know, did it with nothing. And it changed the industry. Yeah, no it joke. Changed it changed the animation academy. Changed the animation industry in ways that people can't even possibly imagine. They, 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 they are, the, the impact that we had on animation was was amazing. It was amazing, and it was uh, way more than just skin deep. We yeah. we went to, we changed the core of the industry, and uh, I think the peak of it, the peak of it, for me, for me personally, the peak of it, it peaked out this spring. And I was driving through a little town that maybe had, I don't know, eight or 900 people in it. Mm -hmm. It had this little, this little movie theater from, from the silent movie area. Era. You could look at it. It was just, it was just, this is from a long, long time ago. And, the, and but it was still active. And on the marquee, it said Super Mario Brothers on it. And I yeah. draw that it was one day before the movie opened. And as soon as I saw it, I said, that's it. That's it. Because <laughs> the Super Mario Brothers movie that became the biggest movie in the world I think it grossed like more than 1.3 billion. Yep. It's the biggest movie of the year worldwide. And my student, Aaron Horvath, was a director of it. And he was there in the very early days of the Academy. He was there for a couple of years. And he, he was there at the, at, the, at the heyday, you know, when we would, I think we reached, we reached like kind of like the pinnacle. It, it kind of ha happened early on, like the, within the first about five years of it. And then it, we maintained it, and then it just it just started to change and morph, and you know it's just started to kind of you know go off, and, and we had to we we had to keep changing the way we were doing things and stuff because every the animation was changing, things were changing, things were things were going on in my life. It wasn't possible to keep it going in the way it was at that time. But but he was uh, he was there, and I can't tell you the uh, thrill that it gives me to uh, to know that. Uh, and he also did Teen Titans Go. He was a producer. Yep director for Teen Titans Go and a lot of stuff. So that's the kind of thing that happened out of the Academy, man. You know, like we were, we were, yeah. we were Mount Olympus. I, I can tell. I mean, like judging by just that, the, the fact that you've recently celebrated 25 years of the Academy at this point, right. being yeah. able to, to do so much influence so many people. Like you talk about Aaron, another one that I noticed as well, uh, David Gimmel, who had a major hand with the, mm. the Looney Tunes cartoons and such. Well, I stay in touch. I stay in regular touch with David. Um, John Nevadas was there. Uh, he he was already in the industry. He was always really 
he was very clear. He was he was there. He was uh, he went on to Pixar. And okay. Uh, Steven Silver was there, who a lot of people know him from um, Kim Possible, and he he became a, a he he got his start, his teaching start at the academy, and um, he um, he was also my student when I teach at Associates in Art. That's why I first met him, and he went on to have a very um, a very great career. He's a you know published a lot of books. Um, he's a great uh, teacher in his own right. Um, very something. He's really quite good at uh, that. Um, very, very motivated, just he's a super talented artist. Uh, Chance Raspberry, who went down to The Simpsons uh, for, mm -hmm. for a long time, and then became like a, a real um, kind of an expert in Facebook marketing, you know, for all yeah. projects and stuff. He was there, and I could, you know, Jose Lopez was there. Uh, he did, um, man, I could, uh, uh, Lorelai Bove was there. She went on to uh, Disney, like one of Disney's top, you know, she did. Um, I think she was involved with uh, Tangled and, um, you know, visual development artists, a very high level. I could, I could go on and on and on, you know, Kelsey Mann was there. He went on to Pixar, um, man, Walter Gaddis, you know, I know I'm missing a you know, snake by Cortez. I met a lot of people that uh, I wish I could, I could, you know, I'm just kind of sorry. I'm missing some names. I know I'm missing yeah. quite a few, but you know, it's I mean, the, fa the, the fact that you have a, a list of incredible alumni that have come and gone through there. And I mean, like I said, the legacy, the fact that it's lasted 25 years at this point, which, you know, for some places, they'd be lucky if they can get past like just a couple years, like with some of the ways that they're teaching stuff. Like it's got a I imagine it has to amaze you just how far along you've been able to come along with the Academy. Yes, but it was brutal. Oh, I imagine it was brutal. It was like riding a, like like trying to bust a wild bull. You know, not not a not a bronco, you know, but a bull that just wanted to continuously kick you off. Mm -hmm. And I held on all the way through. It was Good. it was not easy. And I have to tell you something. If I had to go back and do it again, I probably wouldn't. Oh wow! I probably wouldn't do it. I didn't realize what I was getting in store. I didn't realize what I was getting. It was it was it was work, man. It's work. Right. It's work. And I'm running the you know the, in, the, in 2000. Uh, I was running the school during the day, having classes at night, and then for an entire year, in the middle of the night, from about midnight to about four or five o'clock in the morning, I was developing Jack and Daxter. Goodness. I was I was like chronically sleep deprived. You know, it was just, you know, it was really very very difficult during many times. You know, and then I was dealing with all sorts of other things that people don't even realize that people don't even know. You know, like um, you know, like illnesses in the family. Yeah, and uh, deaths right. in the family, and uh, um, my own my own quirks and and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I was always I also started a movement in animation from the through the academy called Animation Nation, and it was a the first it was it was the very first time that the animation industry had had a social media at a social media. It was in the days of message boards. Right. This was before way before Facebook. Uh, way before you know anything anything like that and uh i would organize organize these walkouts of the industry on april fool's day of every year and i would spend my own money getting like a big banquet hall you know and getting food and drinks for everybody mostly food you know and uh inviting you know and the way that it started was very it was very unique and subversive because um um you know, I, I knew I knew I see thought I saw things happening in animation after the boom that I felt really strongly about. It. And I had these encounters with some people from the union. And I said, OK, you know, I'm going to 
you guys want a revolution, I'll start a revolution, but you guys better back me up, man, because if you I don't, know. I'm going to turn it on you. You know, you don't leave me high and dry on this, you know? So I had some meetings with the president of the union and stuff, and they just said, well, there's nothing we can do. You're on your own. This is going to be a grassroots thing because we have a no-strike clause in our contract, and this might be seen as a strike and stuff. So I had to do it on my own and with, with you know, students there. So we, we I, I created these little tabs, these little, like, little pieces of paper that had in, in a military stencil style, you know, um, 4.1. And I, and, and, and about a few weeks before this, I gave it to my students, I put these things, take them to the studios, take them wherever, put them in break areas, uh, put them um, in, uh, on, P, on your friend's chairs when they're, when they're not in their booths and all that stuff, you know, put it in, you know, tape it on bathroom mirrors and all that stuff. And nobody knew what 4.1 meant. And two weeks later, I came up with a second wave, and it was animationnation.com, mm. April 1st, 2000, and, um, you know, April 1st, you know, which of, of that year, which was 1999, actually. Okay. What I had done was I had, I had started a, um, a website, and I had published a, a series of articles in February of 1999, and that really caught on. And it was like, a, it was kind of like a, uh, like almost like Martin Luther, you know, with his 99 points or something and he, like that he that he nailed to the door of the of, a, of the church and uh, I forgot what, what what city in Germany it was it was something like that yep and uh, and then we provided a message board for everybody to communicate and every and we would we would it was we were intent on I was intent on reforming the industry and I and I those articles are still up there someplace you know now now animation nation is just a blog that I post one to one day a year on February 25th every year Basically saying, hey, guys, I hope you're all doing really good. I told you so. I told you so. I told you this was going to be. The, and the first meeting was was awesome. We had like a couple hundred people there. And oh, it was wow. just real rough and real tough. Every, we had an open mic. And it was at the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City. We had all sorts of people there. And we were just going back and forth. And I remember one guy. Uh, that's why I met uh, Snakebite Cortez, who was a great comic book colorist he's a great artist a great 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 one of the many great artists that we had and he's up there at the microphone saying you know like hey I'm MP. he was trying to explain to everybody like what mp3 technology was you know and i'm up there saying hey everybody broadband is coming you know this is in the day you got to remember this is the day the days of dialogue i'm saying broadband's coming we're gonna you know, just, just and i was basically saying the road the road to the future is independence Mm -hmm. you're not we're not gonna you're not gonna find salvation at the studios you're not gonna find the future at the studios you're gonna find it and i was saying telling people around that time not necessarily at that meeting but i was saying in the future independent artists are going to be making more money than you studio guys and i was laughed at and i was scorned and i was just you crazy all that stuff and then let's guess what happened yep and in, in one day one day i saw a girl on her patreon page named sakimi chan okay patreon and she was doing fabulous, incredible work, and she was making a fortune. Yeah, yeah. Her work is not something that I could, you know, it's, you know, adult oriented, and I could not share that with like, you know, like my younger students and stuff. But I would say, look at that. And my my heroes today are all these people that are doing stuff on their own to become like wildly successful. And I know, I know, they've worked very, very hard for that. You know. Sakimi Chan is one. Another one that's a really recent one. That has, she's been working on this. She's worked, done, been doing Lackadaisy. Yes. Yes, Lackadaisy. And she came out with a wonderful animated pilot. And um, who else? Um, the girl that did uh, 
what is it? Uh, Has been hotel. Yep. Yep. Um, Vivzy pop or Vivian Madrona. Right. You know, I, I'm, you know, there's, that's not necessarily my thing as far as what you, what she does, but I have a great deal of respect for what, for what she accomplished. It's great. It's really, really good. And another one that just came out, uh, I mean, not even two weeks ago, I think it's like, um, the, the amazing animated circus. The I amazing mean, digital circus, circus. Yes. That's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. This is this is where what's happening. This is these are the people that are yeah. on the frontier of animation. Okay, Absolutely. along with all sorts of other people who you know, Aaron Blaze, the director from from Disney, great great artist, great animator. He was a director of Brother Bear. Aaron Blaze has got he, he's he's a major influencer in animation because he's, he's he went off on his own. You know, he's doing his own thing, and 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 he's he's fabulous. He's he's fabulous. And you have all these people that are, that are doing these things, and I don't mean to put down anybody at the studios. I know that these are they're doing marvelous work there, but the real groundbreaking stuff is being done by these these people, and that's the ones that 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 those that's the community that interests me. No, you know? absolutely. That's that's the thing that that uh, you know I'm I'm interested in, in what it is that they're doing, and amazed at what they're doing. And another thing that really is astonishing is they're all doing it. It seems to me. That they're all doing this using remote production. Yes, you know there isn't. They don't even have a studio location. You know they're just working out of their out of their homes wherever they happen to be, and they're doing all this amazing content. Yeah, you know, and that's what that's what's what's happening today, and and it's just it's it's thrilling, you know. And I'm I'm more excited than anybody else about it because I remember, as I said, I may have said before, I remember the old days. Yep, I remember the old days when it was impossible to do anything like that. It was impossible. I mean, uh, it, something came out in 1985, I think, and it was Don Bluth that did, did a, a teaser trailer for a project called Drawbreaker. And you can go on YouTube and you can find this. And it was it's maybe about a minute and a half long, but Drawbreaker at that time was like a big deal. It was a big deal. And I remember one time somebody came into the studio, was at, I think it was Deep, and they had a, a, a video cassette and they put in, the, and they played, so, so we got to see we got like a look at Jawbreaker and it was just, you know, like you had, you had to like take out a second mortgage on your home to do something like that. It, it costs, you know, like $150,000 to do something to something like that back then. And now you can, you, you, for everything that was involved with that, you can, you have in the, in the, literally in the palm of your hands, you have the, the, the multi-plane camera that's gone obsolete. You have the ink and paint services that have gone obsolete. You have the Xerox services that have gone obsolete. And wait till Dreams comes out. Wait till Procreate Dreams comes out. Mm. Procreate Dreams is coming out November 22nd. And um, Aiden, you should be particularly interested in this because the company that is, is creating it, Procreate, is from Tasmania. Okay. okay. And uh, I forgot what they're called. Savage... Um, interactive or something and they're coming out and this you when procreate dreams i'm just telling you from what i'm seeing of course i have to reserve my review of it you know until i actually see it but procreate dreams is going to change i feel it's it has the potential to change animation forever because you're gonna it's an app that that, that you will have on your ipad and you can make at, at, move in theory in theory you can make animated films that are that have a resolution high enough to where you they can be they can be screened in, on a movie theater on your ipad on an ipad app it's insane okay? to think and you can and you can edit you can edit with procreate dreams 
So I'm telling everybody that I'm working with, I'm, I'm actually doing that. I'm actually so like, let me get all this stuff ready because I want to get the, all this stuff out of the way and taken care of. Because when November 22nd comes around, I want to be, I want to have, I want to get Procreate Dreams and then I'm going to pick up, I'm going to use that to pick up with what it is that I've been doing with it, with this, with this other stuff. So um, right. it's a very, very exciting time in animation. It just absolutely is. And I just can't stop talking about it to anybody who will listen. You know? Good. Yeah, and, um, I, trust me, we're we're all ears for. It. I was gonna say, like you were talking about all the the independent animation stuff. I mean, I interview a lot of people that work in that field. I interview a lot of people that take the time either creating their own stuff or working <laughs> alongside some of these independent creators, like you know Viv or like you know uh, Lackadaisy Tracy and all that stuff like that. I, I said it at the beginning of the when we were starting out, but I'm currently helping the per the other person that helps me out with the podcast, Tipsy J Hearts. We're currently doing an Indiegogo right now to try to raise film uh, funds for a uh, adult animated horror animated uh, a horror comedy that uh she has produced about a demon goat. Like it's a little it's a it's a little demon goat that uh a demon oh, wait a minute. I've yeah. seen this. You see oh called? the what? What's it called? The evil little thing. Oh oh I think it might be. I think I've seen. It. I've seen something. I was like, say, "Ram or goat or something." If you could show, if you, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, is it, does this? Oh, no, look... it's, it's not that, but okay. it's, it's something okay. that I'm familiar with. It's somewhat similar to it, but you know, Fair. yeah, I think that's fantastic, man. Yeah, it's, just... it's one of those like it's it's a project that she has held near and dear for years, and this is something that like I'm helping out with the writing. We've got a, a good. Uh, skeleton crew helping out right now we got some good voice actors on board we're just trying to raise funds so we can pay those people and such and like really go forth and make this a reality because like it the ideas that we're already brewing right now is gonna be exciting and like just hearing the excitement that you have about all this independent animation like i cannot tell you how exciting it is to hear i mean especially hearing your experience or whatnot thinking about what the future potentially hold and the fact that you're also helping foster that in a little bit with the animation academy like i i have to ask like just as a whole thinking back through your entire art journey from when you first started off obviously like you know just really getting familiar with the cartoons like you know the classic you know rocky and bullwinkle Hanna barbera stuff to being in the industry and the experience you had there to what you're doing nowadays fostering it in does it amaze you how far you've been able to look, come along on this art journey? I don't really think about it much. I think about it sometimes, but I got to tell you the truth. Um, in many ways, I feel like I'm just getting started. Oh, okay. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's really weird because I'm quite old. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> really, really pretty, I'm up there. And, um, but I just feel like, um, like that was one thing, you know, uh, like that was one thing that was like, and I'm, and I'm, I'm entering into something different now. And I, I, I've, and I, and I like it. I like it. I like, um, I'm entering into this uh, kind of a period that I'm kind of seeing, I'm kind of, defining as an authorship era okay and this is something that i teach my students i really encourage my students to think this way don't think just in terms of 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 like working for other people or working you know you like i see things in two different ways so you could you could go with your art and with your skills and with your career you could go into like a service oriented direction you know like you're doing your you like like you're doing 
you're working for you know, you're picking up work from you know freelance or a studio work all that kind of stuff it's not stuff that you're necessarily you know creating for yourself it's just you're helping other people and other people you know in, in, you know like institutions whatever the, the thing is with what it is that they're doing and then you could have this other thing where you're doing your own material you're creating your own content you're creating your own properties you know and um and i've always encouraged that uh because i think that's necessary especially today because your studio gig is not going to take care of you through you know i don't you know, most for the most part for the most part i feel that your studio gig is not going to carry you through um it's going to get to the point where you know you're eventually not going to be cool you know they're going to let you go um you, you, you just it just reaches a point where not with everybody i know some people have done really well working the studio, and some people who work very well doing you know like working hey i'll be i, I like to work um i like to to be to be hired or contracted to do you know what i like to be hired you know but there's a, a whole another area that i feel is um very just as important and probably even more important and that is uh intellectual property creation and intellectual property ownership. And that is tied in with, with authoring, with authorship. So what I do with my students nowadays is I, I don't even, I don't, I, I take like newcomers to the academy and stuff. And I have other people that are set up to um, to take on, you know, beginners and this and that. And so what I do is I work with students who I've had before or people who I feel are advanced enough where I can work with them in a realistic way where I don't have to go and like get into the minutiae of stuff, you know, like you have to watch for this and watch for that, all that, all these kind of little things that go along with the basics. And I just, I'm working with them to, on their projects, you know, so I just, I work with them to help them develop, to help them to author. And they cut, they're, they're coming up with some really interesting things, you know, like our community is coming up with some really, some really interesting projects. Um, and I think that uh, I would, I would recommend, I would, have people encourage people to to, to think that way, uh, because um, I just feel that's the way things are going. You know, um, you know, just uh, like like you know, in your own situation where you've got uh, you know you're doing crowdfunding to you know get <clears throat> move move your project along and get your own you know team together and all that kind of stuff. I think that's yep. a very, I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, and um, I've even, I talk with you know investors and venture capitalists and all that kind of stuff and. Um, I kind of tell them, God, I'm at that point, like, forget it, guys, you know, like, forget it. I mean, I, I you know, it doesn't cost, you know, Procreate Dreams is going to cost 20 bucks. Yes. Yeah, that's, 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 it's a one-time payment of $20. You're not going to have to pay monthly license fees like you have to do with Tomb Boom and other, you know, stuff like that, you know, uh, although Tomb Boom is industry standard and there's a lot of, a lot of very, very, um, positive things that you could do with it. But uh, it just doesn't cost that much. I mean, you don't have to. You, there's no overhead, and that's what I explain. I want I explain to people who are who want to come into animation as you know, like uh, financially underwrite a project and stuff. And I just say it doesn't. You don't need millions and millions of dollars, man. You know, you don't need fifty million dollars. I mean, you know, half of that is spent on. You're wasted. It's just wasted. The, the highest paid people on your on your payroll are going to be your your management people, executives. So you don't really need. You just don't need them, you know. You don't need to have an elaborate studio, you know. You just you just don't need that anymore. 
Right. I mean, if you want to have that, that's great. But you know, you just want to you know spend your money on, on, on put into content and even you know or, or or on equipment. You know, here's an interesting thing that that I was thinking about. I think about this a lot, and I even talk about this with some people. It's like you know, like um, you want to work at like, like a major studio, and they tell you we have to have a degree, and they you know like coerce you maybe into going into these extremely high priced schools that you know cost you know like a fortune you know because an absolute fortune to go there and i'm going like guys you know do you want to really start your career off being like massively in debt you know do you want to you know and i know that there are a lot of people that are dealing with this right now and i'm just saying um you know, it, it, it shouldn't be this way. It should, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to mortgage your entire life in order for you to be able to creatively participate in animation, in the animation medium, you know, that's just, that's just, I feel very strongly about that. And that's one of the reasons why I started the Academy was, you know, my whole philosophy behind it was affordable education. And a lot of times people were turned off by the fact that I'm not charging you $50,000 to go there. I was just, I was just, you, you know, they would call me, you know, do you have financing? I said, yes, we do. It's called your credit card, you know, <laughs> get your credit card out and just, you know, it's not going to cost that much money. And I guarantee you, you're going to learn more in one term with us than you did in four years of your, of your, of your, of your art school or whatever. And that's, and a lot of times my students were, had degrees and they still didn't learn what they needed to learn. I mean, you got to learn some, the basic stuff is really not that not that difficult to kind of you know mentally comprehend it's just the application of it is what you know causes uh is what takes time so i'm saying okay let's say you're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on your education okay how much what kind of equipment can you get for that what kind of equipment can you get for a hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars what kind of equipment can you get with that, you know, and if you are going to go to school like that, you know, then and I and I know I, I was part of an animation educators forum, and I'd read what these college professors were going back all over the world, what they're going back for, and it was all about get your demo reel together so that you could get a job at a studio. The studios want to see this studio. Well, the hell with the studios, man. Yeah. All my friends that I talked to from the studios are miserable, and I have to listen to it. <laughs> I just tell them, man, you know, if you if this, I told you, I told you. I told you when you were getting into the industry, this is, there's a reality to it. And I told you, this is what it's like, right? You know, I don't want to hear it anymore. Either do something, either shut up or do something about it. Exactly. Deal with it, man. Just deal with it. You know? So anyway, um, if you're going to go to school, think, you think in terms of think more like a business person instead of an employee. Okay. Don't think just in terms of like, I want to be employed here and there. And even if you do, even if you do use it, use it to help to build out your potential business. And that is go to school and think in terms of, okay, I'm renting their equipment. I'm renting this. I'm doing that. I'm using this, their, their facility to create my situation, to create my, um, to create my own studio. Okay. And just don't think in terms of like, uh, you know, there's somebody, there's an artist that I know, there's an artist that I know, and I'm sure you would recognize his name if I told you, but he's got a friend. So it's a friend of a friend kind of thing. Okay. And this guy was an animator who was doing commercial work. So the advertising agency was coming to him and giving him all this work and stuff, you know, and he was doing fine with it. You know, like, I think I'm going to guess he's like getting maybe like $10,000, you know, 
$15,000 for maybe a few seconds of work and stuff like that, you know, like think in terms of, I don't know if it was for like Red Bull or anything like that, but it was for stuff like that, you know? Okay. And then somehow this guy found out what the advertising agency was getting. And they were getting 10 times that amount of money. They weren't getting $15,000. They were getting $150,000. And they were getting a small percentage of that to the animator. And I don't know how this guy pulled it off. But I confirmed it with my friend not that long ago. Okay? I don't know how he pulled it off. But what that guy did was he found a way to get around them and deal directly with the client. Okay. He was getting all that money. And that guy, after his first year, um, as I understand it, tallied up all his invoices and he did more than $1 million worth of business. There you go. Now you show me anybody working in an animation studio today that's an artist is getting anything close to that. Okay? And, 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 I, the last I heard, the guy had bought like five houses. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story, according to what my what my friend told me. I don't mean to be, I don't want to get into, because I, I, I want to, you know, like double check my sources and all that kind of stuff. But this is right. what I was told by somebody who is a very big name in the animation industry, you know? So think in those terms, folks, think in those terms. And you have to, because of the way that the, that, that the, the way that things are, 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 developing okay is you need to think in terms of don't just think in terms of being an employee you know think in terms of your own you know like like um forge your own future forge your own destiny and uh, by all means you know like this is a a business that you could be very successful in but you know you've really got to be good yeah you've got to be good it's super competitive out there and you've got to be good you've got and i and i impress upon you over and over and over again, the importance of fundamentals in animation, the importance of it, the importance of good basic draftsmanship, Absolutely. good basic drawing skills, good composition, good, you know, good, good storytelling, you know, just the, the, the foundation of it all is, is fundamentals. And the, the art director of the Lion King, I was at an event a few years ago in Burbank and he was there, and I knew what he was going to say. But for the benefit of everybody else who was there, I went to him. I said, you know, uh, what was his name? Andy Gaskell, was it? I don't know what his name was. I, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I just, you know, this like just escapes me. And I went to him and I said, you know, like I, I, I encourage my students all the time. I, I really, you know, un, um, remind them of the importance of fundamentals uh, in as far as, you know, just mastering the fundamentals, artistic fundamentals as I applied to animation, you know, what would, what would you have to say about that? You know, if there was something you could tell them, a message I could take along that what you have to say about all that. And he said, and I quote, it is essential. End of quote. It is essential. What I'm talking about is essential. So don't settle for just like you're less than your best. Mm -hmm. You must be great. You um, must be the best of the best of the best of the best. And that's and it's not something that happens in a month, in a week, in a month, in a year. It's a lifelong journey. I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. I'm still growing. And I look at my artwork from you know like years ago, and I look at it, just said, man, I can't believe my my style. How much my style has changed. Right. And you know what? I mean, we haven't talked about this very much, but I just want to hit on it before we, you know, uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to go on, but, <laughs> but I didn't talk about Jack and Daxter. Okay. Jack and Daxter was a groundbreaking game. It was a groundbreaking project, let's say. It was called Project Y. And it was groundbreaking, absolutely groundbreaking. Because this was at the, at the, at the advent of PlayStation 2. Naughty Dog, this was uh, at the end of 
99. Mm-hmm. And I've been running the academy for about mm, getting close to two years now. And by this time, I had a um, 6,000 square foot, I don't know how many meters, you know, it was just 6,000, about 6,000 square feet of space, about a block away from Warner Brothers. And um, it was, it had gone from the restaurant to this, and actually Don Bluth was there. It was a building that Don Bluth was there. And I found that, that he did a movie called Rockadoodle, part of Rockadoodle okay. was there. Okay. Um, and uh, I was working with Naughty Dog and um, Bob Raffi. I didn't mention Bob Raffi because he was also a very great artist that he was the art director uh, for, for the studio back then. And I remember him mentioning it. We were talking and stuff. And then we had uh, Jason and Andy and Bob. I think it was maybe Mark certainly was there. I don't know. We went, they came to Burbank and we went out for dinner. We talked about stuff and they had a new project they were going to be doing. And, uh, you know, I was, it was, uh, you know, just kind of, it was a good, you know, just a good positive meeting. And, and we, um, um, you know, that was like, they wanted me to, they wanted me to work with them again, which was, I was completely open to that. Uh, Cause I had done crash one. I had done crash two. I had done crash three mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, which I didn't even get into Crash Two or Crash Three yet, but that was that was that was really a lot of fun working on those on those games. So anyway, um, and what happened was I wound up, uh, you know, like um, negotiating a real groundbreaking deal, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I think that it can be beneficial to artists, especially if you're just starting out. It can give you, it can encourage you, because everything that you do. And in, in, when you're working for other people, it's all work for hire, you know, and that means that they own everything that you do. And uh, it's all, you know, like, it's just, you know, like, whatever content you create, they own, um, you know, all that kind of stuff and everything. And I just was told them, I, it's not going to be the same kind of deal, you know, just whatever. And what happened was we negotiated a deal and they negotiated a year long contract. And um, it was, it's, it's, it's very, uh, I love to tell this story. And I don't know, maybe these guys see it somewhere down the line and stuff. And I have nothing but respect for them. You know, <laughs> they didn't play this well. You know, they didn't play it well. And I'll tell you why. Because they made an initial offer to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, uh, I'll think about it for a day. And I didn't call him back that day. And the person I was talking to was Mark Cerny. And Mark Cerny at that time, I believe he was the president of Universal Interactive or, or whatever. They had broken away from Universal at this time. Okay. And they were working directly with Sony. So they had to, you know, like, and this is going to be a big deal because this is going to be the first time where they're on their own. They're working directly with Sony. This is like a major thing. And uh, he makes me an offer and I didn't, I didn't move on it. And he said, I'll think about it. So, you know, I was just playing it cool. And I said, it was okay. It was all right. You know? So uh, <laughs> he calls me, uh, he calls me like the day after he goes, uh, yeah. I said, Hey Mark, how are you doing? Hey Charles, did you think about it? And I said, um, yeah, I thought about it. He goes, well, what do you say? And I said, and I, and I stopped for a minute and I paused and I took a deep breath and I was about to say, okay. And then he says, we'll double it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, before I could say, he says, we double it right before. And I, I, I there we go, go twice the money right there. Okay. So uh, then we started talking more and then I just started saying, but there's certain things that I, when I negotiate a deal, um, there's certain things that I get, and um, one of them is uh, the ownership of my original art. 
Okay. I, I negotiate that deal. I negotiate that with Spyro. I, it actually goes back to when I was working on He-Man because on He-Man, uh, who knows? I think they threw away a lot of that art and stuff. I don't really know. But I was getting, I was, I was saying like, I'm liberating the art. That's why, the way I was putting it. It's like, I went to my supervisor, told him, may I have, after you're done using it, may I take the drawings back and stuff? And, it says, and she, she had no problem with it. Uh, so I have a bunch of stuff from He-Man, the original development stuff from He-Man and Shira that again, like few, very few people have ever seen. And that's one of the things I have to get to before, uh, you know, while, while I'm still on this earth, you know, right. but, uh, but um, I did, I do that periodically. And then uh, I did that with Jack and Daxter. And um, I also negotiated royalties Ooh. and uh, they got, they agreed to it, you know, and that is a no, no, that doesn't happen at all. They don't want to give royalties to artists, no way, shape or form, no how that is an absolute deal breaker. And that's another reason why I say that you need to develop your own projects, guys, because when you develop your own projects and you establish your own property, then you're in a much better position to negotiate stuff like that. But um, he negotiated it. And basically what they said was, um, he got back to me and the lawyer was so, I, as I understand, the lawyer was so upset because <laughs> they didn't want to set this precedent. You know, they didn't want to set it. And I said, uh, um, you know, they said they somewhat, I don't want to, I don't, the way I understood it was it's going to take you years to get these royalties. You know how it is in Hollywood. Basically, it's like, hey, you're going to like, you know, it's going to, you're never going to see it is what they're, what they're saying. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just, why don't we, you know, we'll buy the rights to the royalties from you. So they doubled it again. Oh. So I'm making four times the amount of money on Jack and Daxter that I was originally going to agree to. Okay. And that's what a little bit of finesse, that's what a little bit of finesse can do. And uh, and then I said to themselves, I agreed to it because I knew it was just, you know, like, I, I didn't want to blow it. You know, I didn't want to insist on all that stuff. So I, and I really right. wanted to do, really want to work with these guys again. And, um, and uh, but I went to them, I said, but I got the rights to the royal. I got royalties, right? Yes. And you bought the rights to the royalties from me, right? Right. Which means I got royalties, right? Right. So I got royalties. Good. I got royalties, Jack and Daxter. And if I can get royalties, then you guys and other people can get that too, you know? Uh, but I think, you know, that's extremely difficult to do and, and no, almost never, ever, ever happens. I think in certain cases it might, but um, I don't know what the details of it are. But I started working on Jack and Daxter and, uh, and we didn't know what we were going to do. They didn't have any idea. We just started from total scratch. And I remember I was working at the beginning, I was working with Mark Cerny. Mark, Cer Mark goes, start drawing gremlins. I oh. said, okay, I'll just start drawing gremlins. So I started doodling and, uh, you know, and I was just throwing this stuff out, just throwing it out, you know? And then they started to say, okay, you know, we like this. They were actually selling this stuff, sharing it with Sony at the beginning. And some of the decisions that Sony was making, Naughty Dog didn't want. So mm -hmm. Naughty, they stopped doing that and it just became like an internal thing. And then they would show Sony after... The fact okay after they like they saw things that they liked they would show this they would show it to sony to get their input <clears throat> i'm assuming that was the case but um jack and daxter was kind of like it was like a piecemeal thing okay like okay we'll take we'll take these foot wrappings and we'll take um this sash and we'll take these buckles and all that kind of stuff and everything we started to kind of like put it together that way and one of the things that I was kind of struggling with at the beginning was I didn't really know. I was thinking of, of, of designing this, uh, like the original PlayStation. I really didn't know what PlayStation 2 was about. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, at one point, you know, I was talking at this at this point, I was talking with Bob, with Bob Raffi, and he explained to me. Um, well, I finally understood it when he, the, he, we had this one conversation. I finally understood what he was talking about because I just didn't know what they were what they were talking. About. I said, you know, you're not explaining it to me in a way that I can understand. And then he finally did. And what I realized was that, you know, we were going from 500 polygons to 10,000. So oh, we had 20 yeah. times the resolution. So in other words, I wasn't just drawing simple characters and this and that and everything that was that was relatively flat. I had to sculpt them. I had to give them like girth. I had to give it thickness. I had to give it girth. So that's what I started doing. And it changed my drawing style. And to this day, I would have to say to this day, I still draw. I'm profoundly influenced by what the work that I did on, on Jack and Daxter in that year. And I worked on it for an entire year. Along what I was talking about earlier, it was a really brutal year, a brutal year. But I endured it for, for a whole 12 months to the day. And I did 603 pages. And almost every single solitary page I did was drawn in the middle of the night. And I would, and I would, I would have the work by 4, 4.30 in the morning. I'd be wrapping, I'd wrap it up. I, 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 I think I scanned the drawings and then I, or I Xeroxed the drawings and I, and I would scan it so I wouldn't, you know, like smear any of the pencil or anything. I was drawing mostly in blue pencil and black line. And, um, and I had to make sure that they could have it in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I do this almost like five days a week. There were days I was just too tired. I can't, I just really can't do it. But um, I did this and uh, Jack and Daxter turned out to be a really great game. And uh, it, it won Daxter, which is a character that I designed. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they were doing some things internally that I, I, I saw some of their initial sketches and it was like, there's no way guys you know it took me about 83 versions of jack of doing that character before we finally hit on it and i did it was just 83 you tried doing that you know like over and over and over just trying to you know at one time he was a monkey at one time it was this and one time all that stuff and then he turned out to be you know and it was just i finally i finally nailed him and daxter wound up winning the best care best original character of the year at the Game Developers Conference for that year, which is the equivalent of getting an Oscar. And that was Naughty Dog's first award was for Daxter, the character okay. of Daxter. And I would say, you know, and, and there was some confusion there because they, uh, the word got out that I helped to, you know, tweak the character sign. And it was nothing like, nothing of the sort. I, d- I designed that character from scratch and uh, it was one of the, another high highlight of, of my career. Uh, and that, uh, of course, was done was due primarily to Naughty Dog because they made the character that did such a great job animating the character. So, yeah, that's what had that was. I wanted to kind of explain that with Jack and Daxter because um, you guys don't have to, you don't have to settle for, don't necessarily have to settle for the first thing that they throw throw out at you. You know, sometimes you do. They're not going to leave you a choice. You know, but as you progress with your career. Um, you can be, you can be a little, little bit more flexible and stuff. And I would say, if you want to go the direction that that I did with Jack and Daxter, you would have to either, um, you know, spend a lot of time, you know, like working on building your own personal legacy, let's say, or you could just develop your own project and make that make it popular. And then, uh, you know, when they come knocking on your door, you could, you know, you could get a, a, a better deal than just work for hire. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as we start to wind down the interview, Charles, I just have one last question that I want to ask, honestly. Sure. 
obviously, like I said with the previous question, uh, you're deep, you've been deeply interested in art for years, for ages at this point. In your opinion, how important is art, not just for you, but for the world as a whole? It's indispensable. It's absolutely dispensable. It's the definition of, of humankind, you know? Yep. So, uh, you know, I tell people like the art is uh, everything, you know, like, you know, uh, the headset that you got on, mm-hmm. where did it start? It started with, you know, like sketch. It started with the schematic, you know, like uh, the chair you're sitting in, you know, uh, every, everything, everything, just everything starts with, everything starts with design. Everything starts with art. Everything starts with the manifestation of the, of the concept, you know, um, it's indispensable. So I don't know what people are talking about when they try and trivialize it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, look back in, um, you know, interesting thing because the first, the oldest piece of art that I think archaeologists have been able to dig up comes from a cave in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a piece of yellow ochre, I mean, red ochre, sorry, piece of red ochre that they would, and it's flat. You could tell like the, 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 it was like rubbed on something and they would mix it with animal fat, you know, and, and, and decorate their bodies with it. Maybe for, you know, aesthetic purposes, maybe to kind of keep the sun off their skin. I don't really know. But it eventually, I'm sure it evolved for, you know, like, like decoration, you know, personal decoration, adornment. And that little chunk of red ochre had a graphic design on it that is dated to about 70 to, 72,000 years ago, you know? And, and you can start to see the emergence of art as a, maybe like as a sign of like personal ownership of something or um, uh, maybe like a, you know, like, a, a, like to, to keep track of something or, or even maybe to like in a crude way of like mapping, you know, coming up with a map or, or whatever. And then it, you get into the whole, you know, the cave paintings and all that kind of stuff and everything, which are absolutely extraordinary. And then you get into like stuff like the Venus, Venus of Willendorf, you know, if you've ever seen that, this really bucks me woman who's, I don't, I can't tell if it's her hair or if she's like wearing a knit cap over her head. And she's got just these, like a gigantic ass and she's just like <laughs> gigantic. She's just gigantic. Right, right. You see that, you see that, you see that over and over and over. Uh, at during that time period in all these different locations in Europe. And then that last, and, and, and the change, the change that happened in, in art was extremely slow. You I mean, you know, you're talking about like, you have the Venus of Willendorf and they're still making similar, you know, like little, um, you know, figurines 20,000 years later, you know? So art is, art is just, art is just, it's a, it's an expression of, of, of of humanity it's i mean that's what it's just it's it's the it's you know it's it's there's no way you can you can you can get around it you know and uh, and today in our modern times it's like and it's becoming even more with modern media and all that kind of stuff it's becoming like ubiquitous it's becoming it's it's everywhere mm-hmm. and um you know like look at your wall yeah you know? trust me i can look, i can see my wall, wall. Wall, guys. So uh, I have, uh, I just think that it's, um, it's a, you know, like when you're, when you're working as an artist, you know, like as an artist or an artisan, a craftsperson, anything like that, um, the higher you take it, the higher you, you, the higher you take it as far as just the execution of it is concerned, 
the more attention you're going to get. And it's, it's, it, you can't, people are, are, are inexplicably attracted to it. Mm-hmm. No. And that's one of the things that I teach is like, okay, you can come up, there's ways to make, you know, how can you apply these, these, this cerebral thing to, you know, like the science of, of vision, you know, like, like the, the physical act of looking at things, you know, and there's ways that you can take art and you can make it even more appealing. You could just, and that a big thing that I, I like is, is, is design appeal. Like if you want a really good looking character, there's certain things that you can do that can make like a strong character even better by just, and people will be immediately, people will be attracted to it and they don't even know why they can't even explain it. So um, yeah, it's just something that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in everybody's life, whether you're, you're a farmer or whether you're an engineer or whether you're, um, you know, um, an accountant, you know, it's just, uh, it's everywhere. And uh, it's something that should be embraced. And don't listen to people that are discouraging you from doing it. You know, I mean, be realistic about it. I mean, you know, like if you, you know, just be realistic about your, your art career. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to do other things before you can get to a point where you can actually, like, manifest that career or have, you know, like revenue coming in from it and stuff like that. But I guarantee you that the more you do it, the more you pl- apply yourself, um, it's going to happen for you. You know, it's just, uh, but you have to really, you know, you have to, you have to have a love for it. And, and there's, and it's like anything else. You have to really, 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 you have to apply yourself. You have to work hard. You know, there's, there's no getting around it. I mean, you know, look what lawyers have to do. You know, look, look what doctors have to do. Look what, you know, all these extremely, extremely skilled people have to do. And art, you know, especially in, in animation, there's, you have an equivalent. It's a very high level skill. It's a very extremely specialized skill. And um, it takes, uh, it takes devotion and it takes dedication. It takes perseverance. And uh, sometimes, and the other thing too, is uh, that I tell people is like, sometimes if you're, if you have the spirit inside of you, like Robert Henri, uh, I think like maybe in the 18th, 19th century wrote a book called the art spirit. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the whole thing, but I just read you know parts of it here and there. And I'm saying, if you have that inside of you, then there's nothing you can do about it because it will just consume you. You know, like you, you keep me away from doing creative things and I'm miserable. I'm right. just absolutely just like, you cannot, I cannot, I become a, a dysfunctional person. You know, I'm just, I get angry. I get, I get like, you know, I get really, really, really just, you know, get away from me, leave me alone, you know? And, uh, and it affects my relationships because people who don't have that, you just don't understand it. They don't understand. But if you have that, there's nothing you can do about it. You just, you have to follow that, um, you have to follow the calling, you know? I hope that's helpful. You know, I don't know if it's been there well, but, you know, I, just, I, I, I think it has been very helpful, and I think it is wonderfully worded, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Eloquently worded, if I do say so myself. Thank that you. is all the questions that we have for you, Charles. Um, yeah. I've already showered you with a bunch of praise, but I want to share you with a little bit more because it's my podcast. I do what I want. Um, yeah. Aiden, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? If okay, uh, I guess I'll be... I nope. no, sorry, I pressed my Discord keybind again because I'm <laughs> <in the movie. laughs> um, I just wanted to say thank you for just inspiring me and a ton of other artists. If it wasn't for you just designing and practically making Spyro, 
I wouldn't be doing art as a whole. Um, because for my entire life, Sparrow has just been there and has been inspiring me to become an artist and just being a character designer at this point. And I honestly just don't know what to say other than just thank you. The way that you designed them was just absolutely fucking perfect. Thank you. And especially like the little sketches that I've seen of him that you've made. I just love it. it he just looks so awesome. And I wish I could like one day replicate how you made those characters look as like look as iconic as they do. So fuck, thank you. Like generally from the bottom of my mind. You guys are very you guys are very uh you're very, you're very kind mm -hmm. and you're probably uh, you're too kind <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and you're, uh, your praise and thanks and all that kind of stuff is very is very much appreciated um, you know, I was going to say if you thought he was quiet and you know I'm just really uh, thankful that uh, so many you know like it, that it's so it's so well received and so many positive things has happened as a result of it you know so and I was gonna say if you thought he was too kind, wait until we hear what I have to say. I, no, I, was, I, I was just gonna As say, I kinda, like, you know, I'm I kind of get embarrassed by this kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, I, I at least want to say, like, I'll be honest. Going into this, I wasn't sure what kind of conversation, what exactly we were gonna be talking about. Like, of course, I've heard of you and I've obviously seen some of your stuff, but especially getting the opportunity to talk to you, hearing about just your experience as a whole and all that you've gone through and stuff, like, I. I feel for you like more than anything else. Like I, I cannot tell you how disheartening that it could have seemed at times, but also like how inspiring it was for you. The fact that you've been through all of it, both good and bad, and you kept on going to, to do incredible stuff, whether it's and impacting people on so many different aspects. Um, I, I, I guess I never really realized until now how much of an impact you've had on the industry as a whole, on the art community as a whole, and I want to just say thank you. Thank you for providing a good platform for people. And thank you for really inspiring, like I said in the intro, animators both now and for the future. Because I think the industry is better off that you became a part of it. Sincerely, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I want to say just a couple of things, guys. Uh, don't neglect your health. Oh, absolutely. Okay? Don't neglect your family. Uh, don't neglect... Um, don't neglect other things that are important in life. You know, I mean, art is of course important. It's fun. It's great. It's not something that, and if it, you have the, the, you know, it's, it should be something pursued if you want to pursue, but don't neglect other things. You know, you find a, find a place in your life for other things that are important to you, um, your relationships with people, um, other things, you know, whether it's like you want to raise a family or whether you want to, um, you know, like uh, grow a garden or something like that, you know, like, uh, you know, and just, or just, you know, and there are times when you need to walk away from it. Um, you need to just stop, take a break, duck, you know, go for a walk around the block, get your bike out, go riding, you know, they're just, it's, it's not, it's not this life is, is, is all sorts of things. And life is, it's, that's just one part of it. You know? So don't neglect these other areas of your life that can, that can, you know, um, that can make life, you know, they can, they can make it more fulfilling for you. Um, and uh, the other thing that I want to say to you is, um, you know, which I think is like, it's like one of my, one of the themes that I have, one theme that's like the, the, um, uh, the low, the, the, uh, the um, thing that I use from my school, what's that, what's it called, you know, like, I don't know, it's oh. the one thing that's just like, keep creating, you know, 
that's the key. The key is keep creating, stay creatively productive, just keep moving forward. And if you're not drawing, write something, you know? And if, you know, maybe just, you know, like write, write a poem or story or music or a nice letter to someone or a nice email that is kind of, you know, whatever, just keep, keep creating. And also um, um, never give up. Never give up, no matter what, no matter what, never give up, never give up, never give up. Just keep pounding away, man, you know, and you'll break through. Honestly, that is wonderful. The next project, the project I'm doing now is Mm -hmm. that's the theme of it is never give up. Oh, if that pilot that I showed that I was talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to kind of introduce that in a different kind of way. Good. But, you know, um, that's. Uh, and you know never give up just don't 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 especially especially if you are like in my case you know if you i will i refuse to 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 accept defeat the hands up from the hands of unscrupulous people mm-hmm. if it takes me the rest of my life to you know overcome um to overcome it uh then that so be it okay I know it's it's extreme what I'm saying. I think it's like really pushing things, but it's just I just feel that uh, it's important. You know, it's important and stay positive. Uh, you know, like the, the glass is half full. You know, be that kind of person, and um, you know, just um, you know, show your gratitude and uh, you know, show love for people. You know. Learn, learn to have like a, a genuine love for other people uh, and respect, you know, for them. And um, the world, you will, you will help to make the world a much better place. Okay. All uh, right. Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to I was gonna say one last little thing. I just wanted to say, if people want to see the stuff you might be potentially showcasing in the future, go ahead and plug yourself at people at home. Where can people find stuff more about you and the uh, animation Academy? Well, the animation Academy, uh, I think it's going to go in a direction where it's, I'm just going to have like kind of organized content for it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm kind of winding down the teaching part. Okay. Uh, and I'm, um, I have a lot of projects that I've had on the back burner and uh, I'm developing this new, this interesting technique, which I don't think is anything new, um, but I'm developing a like, technique, which is kind of like, which I'm calling hybrid animation. Okay. My project is out there. You know, I think, um, you know, I've just been, you know, I've just been trying to find the right venue for it. Uh, and what I've done now is I've, I've found this really simple but effective video editing software. And uh, it's called uh, ClipChamp. And you, I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but it's a, it's a Windows-based software. And uh, okay. it's something relatively new. And um, I found it by accident because I was, you know, like I, I was being... Uh, approached by people very recently about a month and a half ago who wanted to like see a, a, a pitch deck from me and i don't know if you know what a pitch deck is but that's something that i guess it's something that potential investors want to see it's like a like a either a powerpoint presentation or video presentation where you're explaining it's, it's like a formatted kind of thing we're explaining you know like what you're the issue is what you're trying to achieve and stuff and i just said uh you know what forget this man i'm not going to waste my time doing this stuff because 
you're all going to say, you're just going to say no, you know? And yep. uh, so what happened was I did, I did one on my own just to see how I would do it. And I wound up finding this uh, video that I wound up finding clip champ. And it's pretty good. I mean, it doesn't do what uh, premiere does and stuff like that. It doesn't, it doesn't have like camera moves or anything, but it's, it's good enough. And I started to kind of develop this uh, cross between like a comic and a, and, an, and, and, and a video like a, okay. YouTube video. So I'm preparing this. Uh, I've just, um, that's what I'm going to do as soon as we're done. I'm going to go back to work on it. And that's what I was doing prior to this interview was working on that. And I'm just getting all the, the different chapters together and I'm putting them together for um, a YouTube, uh, like a YouTube cartoon series. Okay. And this got, you know, it's got some, I'm finding music, I'm finding music to put on, I'm finding little sound effects and stuff like that. And it's really the, the difference between like, a graphic presentation like a graphic like a, a sequential not sequential graphics okay and 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 video is really it's really quite significant and i'm i'm playing and i'm seeing that I, I can do this very quickly and i can do it with um all my projects and i'm actually having some of the my my colleagues and my students i'm trying to get them who, who like like i know one person um she's in the netherlands and she's uh doing a project of hers that's taken her like like th five seconds of animation took her like months to do you know yeah. and i'm going like well don't do you know like use this use this technique and it's basically just using like cross dissolves you know or cross fades from one pose to another and uh, it's working out so okay. um that's going to be my next project i'm going to be uh publishing it on youtube uh, probably this coming january okay uh, I'm going to be picking up on Procreate Dreams, trying that out and seeing if that's something that I can utilize for this, you know. So I'm just at a point where I'm just I just want to either wrap up some of the projects I've had on the back burner for a long time or and get back to this. There's, there's, there's a box right here in my studio right here that has a two and a half minute animated film. Oh, wow. That was used. It opened the it opened the producer show of Cad Cal Arts in 1989. And I have one scene missing from it that I can easily replicate, but it's been sitting there for for decades. <laughs> you know, I've been carrying this box around me wherever it is that I go, and it's it's just it's like one example. It's it's a cute little thing. It's a it's a fun little with with fun characters in it. So I've got all this stuff lying around um, that I plan to uh, get out um, now. So that's the direction I'm going in with my okay. life. You know. Well Whenever you get that stuff prepared and you put it on that YouTube, let me know what that link is because I definitely want to lead the people that way. Link okay. in the description below because I definitely want people to see all this incredible stuff that you're talking about. I, I'm certainly excited for it more than anything else. So It's very unique. It's very unique in that the characters in it, the characters are from the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And the drawings that you're looking at were actually from the 1980s. And the characters are aware that they're from the 1980s and that they're on something called the internet. <laughs> so it's like it's 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 inimitable in that you in order to do something like this you have to get into the time machine go back four decades okay and like do the art and then come back and stuff so it's like it's really unique because you're actually looking at stuff that's many years old and the care and the characters are aware of that oh, wow of okay so okay. and then it just and it kind of go it kind of goes from there so it's very it's very i don't know it's it's uh this it's it's novel it's, it's i think there's a charm to it you know um, but uh, that's what I'm working on right now. So, well, I'm, you know I'm I mean? so, sorry, you go on. <laughs> I was gonna say whenever it's when I'm when I'm when I'm ready, I'll, I'll absolutely let you know. Okay? Please do. So Please I hope do. that I hope that you guys like it. I don't really know, but I know I'm enjoying working on it. So that's uh, 
you know, that's, that's uh, a reward in itself, you know? So well, good. All right. Uh, with, I mean, that'd be incredible. I'll be sure to link that and all sorts of other info about you in the descriptions that people want to see more about your stuff. They will. With that, all I'd like to say is for the people at home, pay your artists. Yes. And I can follow up on what you just said, Nathan. Don't work for free. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't work for free. Absolutely do not work for free because I could go into a lot of reasons why I'm just saying, you know, like, don't work for free. And if they're not paying you, don't do it. I get calls all the time from people looking for artists. Oh, it's going to be look good on your resume. Oh, this, all that kind of stuff. And just look, they're doing their own stuff, man. They're not, you know, they're doing their own stuff. You need to pay these people because I can't get them to work for you. Yep. You know, if you're not paying them, I can't get go to go to high school. You know, there you go. And find somebody there. <laughs> you're not going to get somebody. They're just not going to do it. They're just exactly. absolutely not going to do so it. Once, I, yeah. So yeah. once again, pay your artists. Don't do it for free. <laughs> you guys who have the money, pay your artists. You guys that are that that are expecting to get paid, don't do it unless they pay you. You know, yeah. or or work some sort of a deal out. You know, where uh, you have some sort of equity. You know, some sort. You have some sort of equity in in the, what you do. You know, so. By the way, by the way, this is one of the ways that I that I get equity from projects. I may not get royalties, but I can I can hold on to the equity. You know you the go. game Crash Bandicoot, Crash Nitro Kart, right? Yes. We did that in my school. Okay. In my school, and that was I could tell I could keep on going. I could tell you a lot more. <laughs> but we they did that in my school. I worked with Vicarious Visions, and we negotiated a contract for that. And you know what I got out of that contract? What'd you get out of that? The ownership to all the original artwork that we did. Let's go. <laughs> Joe Pearson did, John Nevarez, um, everybody else that was involved with it. Okay, I have a box with all the original artwork from Crash Not Your Cart that nobody has ever seen. Good. Okay, that's another one of my projects that I, that I want to get to where I can at least scan it and start showing it to people. But I own it. I own, I own, I own that. I own all the artwork from the original artwork from Jack and Daxter. I own all the original artwork that I did for Spyro. You know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you can find, you think creatively, you can find ways to, you know, um, make, make it work. But by all means, they're not going to get you. They're not, they're not going to, they're not going to get free artwork from you if you don't work for free. Okay. See, so the, the real control is in our hands. The real control is in your hands, folks, you know? Mm -hmm. so, you, so all you got to do is just say, I'm sorry, I do not work for free. Um, that's all there is to it. You know, I'll be able, I'll be happy to, and, and try to get, and try, and this I do too. I get paid in advance, guys. I get paid in advance. I don't invoice after the work is done. I invoice before the work is done and I get paid in advance. Okay. So uh, try, and if you can't get paid in advance, then try to do something where you're getting half the money up front, you know, and then, you know, or a third of the money up front, like a third, a third, a third, whatever, and uh, also limit. The amount of times that they're that they can hit you up for revisions there's a lot of things that you can do that can give you control and and a lot lot less uh you know um frustration and uh fatigue and uh and burnout you know so um you know but it all starts with don't work for free and i mean that don't work for i i will not work for people who offer to work for free for me if i don't have the money or i don't have the resources to pay you in some sort of way then i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it I didn't do that with my project. I never did that with the academy. Any any kind of project that we had that came into the academy that involved internships or anything like that, it was always paid. Well, it there was you go. Paid. 
Okay. Oh, there you go. Wonderful words to end on more than anything else. <laughs> Get your money. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If this is your first time listening, I greatly do appreciate it. Seriously, after how long of an episode it was, I am genuinely surprised you've made it this far to the end. <laughs> now, Char Charles, if you're listening to this, um, thank you sincerely for your time and the conversation that we had and the insight you were willing to give. Uh, truly one of the most enriching experiences I've had with a guest to be able to go in-depth with such a weird and unique career more than anything else. Um, I know this is the, these are the kind of conversations I usually like crave. These are the kind of conversations that I want to go out of my way to try to find, especially the more that we talked, realizing how many hands and some of the biggest properties that Charles kind of had a hand in, in one way or another, it's so weird and unique to know that this kind of person's out there that has been able to have so much experience and get to know so many incredible people that many of us love and recognize to this day. I mean, that's kind of part of the reason why I wanted to do a, like episodes like this, why I want to talk to people like this. You know, it, it's one thing to love and appreciate the people that are always on the forefront when it comes to these uh, art industries in one way or another, but getting to really dive deep and get to really learn the people that had a hand in some of this stuff, the people that you don't realize really helped shape and mold some of the stuff of entertainment that we hold near and dear today. It's something that always amazes me. Now, don't get me wrong. I was surprised with how much Charles had to talk about. Good Lord, Charles, I love you, buddy. But goodness, this was a conversation I did not anticipate whatsoever whenever I asked you to be on the podcast. But I am honored to have it more than anything else. It is an honor, it is a blessing to say that I had a conversation like this with someone. And I will not take it for granted. It's episodes like this, uh, the Joe Horn episode I had all the way back in episode 13. You know, people like that that you don't realize really had a hand in some of the most creative outlets out there. And if nothing else, it really lights a fire for me to really try to help out with other people's creative outlets as best as I can. You know, I, I, I try as hard as I can to help out other indie productions if I can, whether it's just giving them a little bit of exposure at the bare minimum, paying for, you know, Kickstarters and something along the lines of that. Or the, the biggest one that I've been doing these days, trying to help Tipsy get her Indiegogo off the ground for the evil little thing. Um, I know you guys have heard about me talk about this for weeks on end at this point but i i sincerely hope that you guys if you can please show some love and support for the evil little thing i mean such the fact that i write on it is the fact that i know that tipsy has a lot of love behind it 
Um, and we really want to make this thing a reality. And we need your help if you can. Um, if nothing else, if that's if you guys are wondering what to get me for Christmas, that's it. <laughs> like, for the bare minimum of $5 for your name in the credits, just help us support the evil little thing and help us get that to where it needs to be. Help us make that dream a reality because we need all the help that we can get. At the end of the day, conversations like the one I had with Charles just more or less reminded me that you got to love and appreciate the hard work that people put out there. Whether it be with all the the character designing stuff or whether it's the work he's done with the Animation Academy, I want to make sure to give that man his flowers. And I hope today's episode was a good testament of that. And I hope you guys are able to do that in your own lives whether it's people that had a hand in some of the stuff that you love and cherish today or some of the people that are creating some of the most unique and amazing art out there that you want to see in reality. Show that love and support and make sure you let the people know, hey, we love what you're doing. We appreciate what you're doing. Please keep up the awesome work. Just like I'm always going to let you guys know that I love and appreciate all that you do, all the hard work that you put into your own personal projects. And I sincerely hope you guys keep going until your projects are to the fullest they can be. Have a wonderful holidays.